Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome. The phone number, 877-973-7425. We had on hold the caller who is black and also a master sergeant, and I was going to ask him um, how often he sent the white soldiers into the field, but he hung up, so... (laughs) He was... Yes, Everyone understands the absurdity of this. We, we got to talk about other absurdity. I need to go into the way back machine and play for you this exchange. I have played it before, but you're not going to believe it unless you hear it. This is the congressman from DeKalb County, Georgia. Now, this genius replaced Cynthia McKinney who the last time anyone heard from her, she was out trying to, like, attack Israel or something uh, to stamp out Jews and Zionism. And this guy replaced her, and he's smarter than she is. And, well, you just got to listen to this exchange. This is Hank Johnson, congressman from Georgia. This is an island that at its widest level is, what, 12 miles from shore to shore? And at its smallest level, uh, or smallest uh, uh, location, it's uh, seven miles uh, between one shore and the other. Is that correct? I don't have the exact uh, dimensions, but uh, to your point, sir, I think Guam is a small island. Very small island. He's talking, you should know, to a four-star admiral. And he doesn't even know the words length and width. About 24 miles, if I recall, long. Oh, well, he gets that. 24 miles long, about seven miles wide at the least widest place on the island, and about 20, about 12 miles wide uh, uh, on the widest part of the island. And... um, I don't know how many square miles that that is. Do you happen to know? It's 209 square miles. With me, sir. I can certainly supply it to you if you'd like. Yeah, my, my fear is that uh, the whole island will uh, become so overly populated that it will tip over and, uh, and capsize. <laughs> uh, we don't anticipate that. The... Uh, the Guam population, I think, currently about 175,000, and again, with 8,000 Marines and their families, it's an addition of about 25,000 uh, more uh, into the population. The whole island will uh, become so overly populated that it will tip over and, uh, and capsize. Democrats who mock Republicans, he's one of yours. He even used the hand gestures, his hands rolling over to make the point the island's going to flip over on itself when you put too many American soldiers on one end of the island. I'm not making, you've heard the audio. Now you should know it took his office 24 hours 
But 24 hours later, the office's spin was that, well, he meant environmentally tipping over the tipping point because the island would become too populated and, and the environment would, would tip. It took him 24 hours to come up with that excuse. That man, that man now believes that we should move slowly on Joe Biden's classified documents because, well, it could be a conspiracy. I'm suspicious of the timing of it. Things can be planted on people, places, and things can be planted or things, things can be planted in places and then discovered conveniently. That's his excuse. But don't you dare suggest the election was stolen. That's Hank Johnson's excuse. But don't you dare suggest the election was stolen. I, I gotta, I, I, I gotta... But don't you dare suggest the election was stolen, people. Putting that on Twitter. Yes, the, the, the great conspiracy. Hank Johnson really believed an island could flip over because too many people were on it. And this man now thinks there could be a conspiracy to frame the president of the United States. And because a Democrat believes it, it's going to get traction on the left. It's the perfect tie-in to the gas stove thing. Isn't it remarkable how until three days ago, there was no conversation anywhere of substance in this country that gas stoves were a danger to you and your health. And all of a sudden... Everyone on the left has become an expert in gas stoves and noxious emissions, and they really must be banned. Because the Consumer Product Safety Commission, led by Democrats, said they must be banned. They were considering banning them because there was a study that showed the noxious release of voters. By the way, we now know the details of that study. The Consumer Product Safety Commission has released the study that they used Here's how they did it. This I'm not making up. If you subscribe to my daily email, you would see the links to this, to the study and how they actually did it. Not making this up. Text data to 33777 and get it. This is what they did. I'm going to read you the overview. We measured each stove burner using a static flux chamber or a room chamber method which we tested in the lab and in homes before initiating the study. The stove was contained in an airtight portion of the room of known volume by hanging plastic sheets to partition the kitchen from surrounding space using a zip wall dust barrier system with eight or 10 foot tension poles. Clear plastic sheets were sealed along the ceilings, walls, and floor using a combination of zip wall, foam bars, painter's tape, and or three kilogram sandbags. We used one or two Lasco 3300 wind machine fans on low or medium to circulate the air within the space. We took care in selecting fan speed, position, and direction to minimize disruption to burners. 
An additional fan or two circulated the air outside the chamber to ensure that the background air was homogeneous. We collected concentration measurements of methane, ethane, and CO2, that would be carbon dioxide for those of you in Rio Linda, at a rate of less than one hertz on a Picaro cavity ring down spectrometer. In addition, we used one of two analyzers to measure concentrations of nitrous oxide, including direct measurements of nitrous oxide and nitrous dioxide. In other words, the way they tested the emissions of a gas stove was to encase it in plastic sheets, remove all ventilation sources, and then turn on the gas. That's what they did. An airtight kitchen encased in glass sheets with no airflow, circulation, or ventilation. That's what they did. By the way, there was another study done around the same time. And the headline is that gas stoves could be leaking toxic chemicals, even when turned off. But they didn't study actual exposure. And they also didn't use an actual kitchen that had actual airflow and ventilation. They sealed it in a room to make sure that all the emissions were contained. Now, here's the other study. And this is one of the gold standard studies. This is the one that has long been used by virtually every governmental agency on the safety of gas stoves. It's the largest analysis between gas stoves and chemical asthma. 500,000 plus children sampled worldwide, and they concluded no evidence of an association between the use of gas as a cooking fuel and asthma. That's the claim the Consumer Product Safety Commission made. The International Study of Asthma and Allergies in Childhood uh, sent questionnaires they were completed at schools by secondary students of whom were shown a video questionnaire on wheezing symptoms. They then investigated the association between types of cooking fuels and symptoms of asthma using logical regression. Adjustments were made for sex, region of the world, language, gross national income, maternal education, parental smoking, and six others. The findings collected between 1999 and 2004 of 512,707 primary and secondary school children from 108 centers in 47 countries were used. There is no correlation between people who have asthma and gas stoves. None. This is an accepted study. It was published in the Lancet Respiration Journal. It's been well accepted. But here's the thing that happened. Here's the thing that happened. Because Joe Biden's Consumer Product Safety Commission said they were considering it, suddenly everyone on the left became an expert and knew just how terrible and awful it was. 
And they've always known, they've never said a word about it. In fact, most of them use gas stoves, but now it's really bad. Uh, Matt Bruning is a communist uh, socialist. He, he, he has this Twitter feed where he's a pseudo-intellectual. He says, the gas stove people act so deranged on here because there is a whole identity and status built around it being elite and foodie and chefy. But it turns out it's not just bad for climate and not just bad for your own health, but objectively worse at cooking than induction. There's nothing you can really say at this point, but out there deranged stuff. It's a complete loser, and yet you've been tricked into not just doing it, but making a thing about you. No, no. He's right about induction. Induction is actually the best way to cook because induction, 100% of the energy goes into the heating of the, of the pan. But induction is expensive, and most people don't have it except for me. <laughs> Oh, I'll have to tell you the story of why. There's a reason. But nonetheless, we don't have a gas line in our house. But gas is actually uh, more efficient and cheaper to use than electric for most people. And he's just acting like, oh, everyone's always known it's bad, and you just pretend because you want to be pretentious and chefy. All these people, suddenly experts. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, suddenly an expert. And then the Biden administration said, our bad. We got it wrong. We're walking it back. And now they can't let it go. There's and literal gaslighting. It's it's kind of funny. We're talking about gas stoves. Axios is literally gaslighting now with the story of oh, conservatives have claimed the Biden administration intended to ban gas stoves, and now they've turned it into a culture war point. No, they literally released a statement the other day and said they were exploring it. And Richard Trumka, who's on the commission, said what can't be made safe can be banned. And now they're like, no one ever said we were going to ban gas. That's just conservative culture warning. These people will literally gaslight you about your gas stove. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee, and now more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible, and there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. There's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or even reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses, so don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free five-minute questionnaire at Refunds with an S, RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com. Hi, so I'm going to do something I shouldn't do here because um, it's, it's, um, hang on. Uh, so uh, those of you listening uh, down in Macon, Georgia, my home where I should be right now that everyone is is texting me, there is a tornado. Uh, you need to take shelter. I have a ton of people listening right now in that area. Please take shelter. It's about, uh, oh, 15 miles from my house. I can see it swirling on the radar. Uh, Philip, if you're still listening, you have a gigantic mass of hail about seven miles from your house headed in your direction. Uh, these storms have suddenly fired up through middle Georgia where I am. And I mean, I can like 
I can see the twist in the radar picture at the moment where this thing is. Uh, my kid is texting me that they have evacuated all the kids into the hallways to take shelter at their school. So fun times in Georgia. And by the way, this is just the beginning. This is not the end. This is the beginning of it. If you're in, in um, Monroe, Bibb, or Crawford County, Georgia, where I am and have a ton of listeners right now, you probably need to be taking shelter right now. So, all right, uh, I'm going to go to the phones. Jonathan, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric, how you doing? Good, how are you? Hey, good. I, I just wanted to talk about the gas stove situation. Has, from an electrician standpoint, uh, has anyone considered – the home wiring or home demand issue from changing from gas to electric? Oh, of, of course not. I, I mean, your typical home with natural gas service usually has a gas water heater, a gas stove, and a gas furnace, all of which are not considered when they plan for the electrical demand for the house. So the overall service of the house is smaller than for one with a heat pump and an electric stove and an electric water heater. That makes a ton of sense. Where does that come into play? When are they going to consider not only the wiring issue and the cost that it will be to the consumer, but then again, the overall electrical demand on the grid? Well, I mean, it makes it, no sense. listen, they'll just include this in the racial reparations bill. I mean, that that's that's what I mean. it, just, it doesn't make it. <laughs> this is not well thought out. Uh, my house, I actually wouldn't mind. Get, and I, I will tell the story of induction. Listen, Jonathan, thank you very much for the phone call. That's such a great point. I, I'll tell you. And y'all stay on the stay on the line here. Those of you calling in 877-973-7425. So we have an induction range at our house. And for those of you who don't know, induction ranges are uh, it's magnetic, and so your pots have to all be capable of having a magnet stick to them. They're pricey. When you get them, you, the pot of water that you're boiling, like I can bring a giant pot of water, like a seven-quart pot of water to boil in like two and a half minutes, which is faster than gas. It's way faster than electric because 100% of the energy of the spinning magnets goes into generating frictional heat that transfers into the pot. 100% of the energy goes into the pot. It speeds up really fast. You can really control your cooking. Now, the downside is you turn it down, it gets cool real quick. Uh, Gas actually can keep things warm well, but an induction thing can melt chocolate without scorching the chocolate. There's just, it's a trade-off. But they're more expensive. The whole reason we got one is my wife was actually cleaning above the stove, and we had an electric one. And she actually stepped on the range, wasn't paying attention, and her foot went through it, and we had to get a new one. And uh, I was like, you know what? I got the money. I'm going to go with induction. We can't have gas. We don't have gas lines into our house. We had to go electric or induction. I was like, I'm going to bite the bullet, and I'm going to do induction uh, because I always wanted one. My wife despises it. She very much preferred electric. Uh, she doesn't like gas. She likes what she knows. She's comfortable with it. My wife is a natural conservative. We'll be back with your calls. Oh, uh, if you're in Alabama, the odds are you got a severe thunderstorm. If you're in Georgia, middle Georgia, you got one. If you're in the Atlanta area, north of Ackworth, you got one. Uh, the weather's getting bad out there where we live here in the southeast, y'all. Um, and I got that governor's gala in Georgia tonight. I got to wear a tux. 
I hadn't worn a tux in forever. I actually had to go rent one because I've got one, but I got too fat for it. But not I mean, I could wear it, but it would be somewhat uncomfortable. I wouldn't, like, rip the pants or anything, but I just decided to go get a nice one for the night. All right, back to the phones, 877-973-7425. John, you're up next. Welcome. Oh, thank you for taking my call. Can we get away from the political chaos and conspiracy stuff? I need a little bit of help from you, sir, the expert. All right. I I bought a sirloin steak. I don't have time with the weather rolling in here to fire up the grill. So I have a large iron skillet and a large stainless steel frying pan. I need to cook this. Help me out. Okay, so what, what are the I options? Do? Did you say cast iron? I got cast uh yes, cast iron and stainless steel. All right, you, you let's go with cast iron. Stove top. Okay. So here's what you do. Uh you put that cast iron skillet on your on your stove and you put it on high heat. And it's going to start smoking because it's seasoned. You need to prep your steak first. So here's what you do is you get your steak out and you put some salt and some pepper on both sides. And then you get, uh, if you have like uh, peanut oil or safflower oil or some avocado oil that's high heat, uh, rub a little on the steak. Don't you don't worry about putting it in the skillet. Some people say that. Put it on the steak. You, you want to keep the steak from sticking. So then... With just when you get a little wisp of, of smoke out of that skillet, you drop that steak in that skillet, and it's going to sear up on one side. You just leave it there. Don't touch it. At least a minute. Don't you touch it. Uh, and then, really, I would go for two minutes, uh, and then you flip it over, and you do the same thing on the other side for about two minutes. Now, do you, how do you like your steak? Medium well. Medium well. Okay, so here's what you're then going to do. Make sure that your oven is on like 400 degrees. And when you've got the steak flipped over to the second side, you go park it in the oven for about, I'd say flip it back over to the first side. You don't want to overcook that one side. And then leave it in the oven for about eight minutes, and you'll get it up to medium well. Excellent. That's I, I would use cast iron. Now, here's the other thing you can do. If you don't want to use the oven, what you can also do is you do the two minutes and then you do the two minutes. Flip it back over and just take it off the heat. That cast iron skillet is going to retain the heat enough. You're going to bring it up to temperature. You're going to you're going to want to um, you're going to want to leave it there for a little bit, but just make sure you do that third flip back to the first side so nothing sticks, nothing burns. You'll get it done. Now, if you really want to kick it up a notch, what you do is you take a sprig of rosemary and a garlic clove and half a slab of butter, like half a stick of butter, and you throw that in, and you just start basting over the um, over the steak. And that makes it really, really flavorful as well. If you want that, if you want that garlic rosemary combo, you don't have to have it though. But that's what I would do: uh, do it two minutes, go two minutes, flip it back over, park it in the oven for just about eight minutes for medium well, uh, and and you'll get there. Um, now, if you keep it in there for about eleven minutes, if you really want the best steak of your life, 
keep it in for 11 minutes, get it to well done, and then get Heinz ketchup and magnifique. Okay, next caller. Gerald, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, uh, I'm, I'm Gerald. I live in northeast Georgia. Um, well, I'm the how are the owner. storms where you are? You're getting smacked or you're about to be smacked here in a little while. Uh, it's getting dark outside, but there's no wind or anything yet. But ah. it's coming this way. They've Up here, they've already sent the kids home from school. Wow, I wish mine had sent the kids home earlier. But anyway, okay, so what's up? So anyway, on this gas thing, it got my attention because I'm the proud owner of a gas stove for about six months. And the way I ended up is I always cooked on electric. And then after about 30 years, the electric stove started doing strange things. And I went to um, Home Depot and I bought a new electric range for about $1,700. And the first thing I did was put some water on with to boil some tea. And about 45 minutes later, it still had not boiled. And what they have is, and I looked it up in the owner's manual, it said you had to cover the pot or it wouldn't boil. And if you look at the new ranges, I guess it's a government mandate or something, but there's a little sensor on there, and you'll watch the eye turn from cherry red, and then all of a sudden the inside of the eye will turn, you know, will turn black. And then they'll go, and so it's some kind of regulation, but. Um, oh, good grief. You can't really. You can't. You can't really cook on it. And so, like, I like shrimp, and uh, I can put that, uh, like, a, a pound of nice gulf shrimp, mm-hmm. and I can put half of them in a frying pan on the electric stove, and they'll do okay. And then when I take them out and put the other ones in, they're not frying because it's cool. It's gone through the cool-down cycle. Good grief. That's good that... to hear that, you know, the president backed it back six months ago. Yeah. And uh, – Still learning how to use it, by the way. Like, you don't reach across the front eyes to the back because you're going to lose all the hair on your arms. Oh, good That's grief. I, I just, you know, <laughs> I, I got to say that the, Noah Rothman, Gerald, thanks, thanks you for that. The Noah Rothman in Commentary Magazine wrote a piece the other day uh, that um, it's it's a war against things that work. And it really is. I mean, they went after plastic grocery bags. And, you know, by the way, uh, they were encouraging people to um, they were encouraging people to use uh, the reusable grocery bags until COVID. And it turns out that they get super dirty and trap germs and you could spread COVID. Uh, and it was the it was the single use plastic bags that suddenly you had to go to. And I got to say, the single use plastic bags that the left doesn't want you to use anymore. I use them when, like, I bring them home from the grocery store and tend to save them because scraps when I'm cooking, I can bag up in there just like a trash bag. Uh, I can use them as trash bags in the little trash cans around the house. When we had uh, little kids in the house, that's what we put the diapers in to carry them out instead of filling up a huge uh, trash bin. It's There's so much use for these things, and they're like, no, we got to get rid of them. They're too useful. Gas stoves when the power goes out. Lots of people in middle Georgia where I am without power all of a sudden because of the hail and the tornado. And they're like, oh, no, you can't have a gas stove. you got to starve. Eat raw vegetables. But don't eat raw cookie dough. By God, you'll die of salmonella. If you, you would think at this point the left would want everyone to eat raw cookie dough and die of salmonella because that would solve the population crisis. Except they don't say that because they know it's actually not a big deal. 
And they cover all this stuff up with credentials. There's actually a, a great piece at hotair.com that I stumbled across. Uh, of course, I closed the browser. Let me pull it back up. Uh, and it, it's the left's use of credentialism to defend itself from everything. Here it is by David Strom at Hot Air. Liberals prefer credentials to competence. I ran across a tweet today that was just perfect in every way. It was a window into the soul of liberals. It happens every once in a while. The piece of coal turns into a diamond before your eyes. This is from Vote Vets, a progressive voting organization. Lauren Boebert tweeted out, Every plane in America is currently grounded due to a system error. Mayor Pete, bravo, this is what happens when you hire clueless liberals for jobs they aren't qualified to do. Vote Vets responded, Secretary Boot Edge Edge is a Rhodes Scholar, Harvard and Oxford alum, and served in Afghanistan for the United States Navy as an intelligence officer. If anyone is up for the task... It's him, you bigot. He's by far extraordinarily qualified for his job. We can't say that for everyone in Washington. What's so perfect is obvious. Except I've spent my life around people with advanced degrees who think that makes them wise. You know, the I went to Harvard historian here, PhD, call me doctor. People who think a credential is a substitute for intelligence or experience. It's like it's it's like the it's like the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. The scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz, what, what did he want? He wanted a brain. The scarecrow wanted a brain. And throughout the book or the movie, and let's be honest, we've all seen the movie and no one's read the book. Throughout the movie, the Scarecrow shows himself to be thoughtful, to be smart, to understand those things that must be done, and to sometimes do the things he does not want to do to get things done, the Scarecrow does. And at the end, he finally meets the Wizard of Oz, the huckster-failed musician who got trapped in a hot air balloon and headed off to Oz. And what does that guy give him? A diploma, a Ph.D. And suddenly, the Scarecrow thinks he's smart because he has a Ph.D., when in fact, he was smart all along. The left these days has decided the measure of your smarts is not the results you get at work or the experience you have in life, but the letters you have after your name. And because Mayor Pete, whose greatest accomplishment in life was changing the streetlights of South Bend, Indiana to high-efficiency LED bulbs. He's brilliantly qualified to be Secretary of Transportation. And you're a bigot if you think otherwise. It's the credentialism. It's the credentialism of the left. Dr. Jill Biden. You better call her Dr. You hate her. Dr. Jill Biden. 
She has a EDD, a doctorate of education. I have a doctorate of laws. I have a JD. I have a Juris Doctorate. It's a doctorate. It is a real doctorate. You don't have any lawyer in America going around calling themselves doctors. Of course, they would have to sue each other, sue themselves. If, if lawyers started calling themselves doctors, they'd be rushing to court to sue themselves. But nonetheless, I got a doctorate. I got a doctorate. I'm, I'm working on my degree in theology. I got a bachelor's degree. I've got majors in political science and history and a minor in English and an associate degree in writing. I'm highly educated, but you know what? I was a terrible lawyer. I hated practice. I got the degree. I not only got the degree, I mean, I got the degree in legal writing, the associate degree, certificate degree in legal writing. I got the Juris Doctorate, and I was a, you wouldn't want me as your lawyer. Now, there were some parts of law I was actually really good at. Uh, election law, I was really good at election law. I could write corporate transactions. I mean, you need an LLC started, I was your guy. But you want me in your courtroom? No, I didn't like to be there. I didn't want to be there. I would no. I had to represent these indigent criminal defendants. I felt sorry. They had me as a lawyer. They were all guilty, by the way. But it's the experience that matters, not not the degree. And Mayor Pete really doesn't have experience to be Secretary of Transportation. He didn't have experience to be mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and it showed. But the left doesn't care. They want to know the letters after your name, and it gives you a level of authority, and you are presumed to be an expert. Never mind how much you get wrong. No, no, never mind how much dumb stuff you say. Never mind your lack of experience. It's the letters that matter most to the left. And it's starting to come apart of the seams, and it's also building resentment. And it is no surprise. It is not a coincidence at all. This credentialism of the left has risen in direct correlation to the number of non-college-educated workers of America becoming Republicans. It's a way for them to distinguish themselves and provide virtue to the Democratic Party because it used to be, what did the Democratic Party say? It was the party of the working man. The working man has fled, and so now what is the Democratic Party? It's the party of experts. It's the party of smart people. It's the party of credentials. And credentials mean everything to people who have no sense because it's the credentialed people of America who've decided boys can become girls, never mind what the bigoted science says. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Um, yeah, there, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing real-world weather uh, right now. Uh, yeah, Philip, there's one to the northeast. Uh, there's a tornado just to the northeast. Philip, he's like, it looks like a tornado could break out anytime. Yeah, I'm watching one on radar. It's, it's just to the northeast of you. Uh, it's cleared out at my house now. Thankfully, the, the wind and rain are starting to subside a little bit, uh, more coming there. It's, it's an exciting day across the state of Georgia. I got to get out of the studio here in a minute and, and rush as quick as I can to get to my hotel to change into my tuxedo and, have something to eat before I go do a gubernatorial ball later. The rain is approaching uh, the perimeter in Atlanta. Um, I know the rest of you outside the area don't care. I realize it, but I'm kind of obsessed with this weather right now because I got to wear a monkey suit tonight to MC. At least Luke Bryant's going to be there. Um, I'm going to have a beer with that guy. Um, hopefully a Miller Lite. <laughs> 
it's a big deal. I'm kind of excited at the same time, very apprehensive. It's been a very long time since I put a tux on. In fact, I can remember the last time I did it was in 2013 in uh, the United Kingdom at this event at Oxford. So the whole debate, I was invited for that debate, um, uh, and the whole thing was a resolution that uh, affirmative action was a necessary evil. And there were four of us on each side. Now, y'all, I got to set the stage for you. So we're at Oxford in the UK, at the Oxford Union. They bring us in for this formal dinner before the event. Everybody's in tuxes and ball gowns. And at this dinner, you're eating on China. And I remarked to the president of the Oxford Union, it's like, this China looks like really old. He's like, yeah, Queen Elizabeth gave it to us. I was like, oh, looks older than that. He's like, yeah, the first. Queen Elizabeth the first. They, they've been eating on the China that Queen Elizabeth I gave them. <laughs> like, oh, you set me up for that, for the gotcha moment. So we do this debate, and the speakers go, and I'm the closeout speaker for my side. Uh, no prep. I just, I mean, I'm a radio show guy. And I get up there, and really my point is very simple. If you vote yes on this resolution, you are acknowledging affirmative action is evil. The resolution itself says affirmative action is evil, and you are voting for evil. And you may think it is necessary evil, but history is ripe with a lot of people who meant well and decided to engage in evil acts and wiped out humanity because all sorts of people are evil and say it's necessary. And this continent of Europe has had a whole history of evil people doing things they thought were necessary. And if you think it's necessary to fire someone who is qualified and put in an unqualified person to make them feel good as a necessary evil, you are voting for evil. It's my basic point. Everyone around me says I won the debate. All I'm saying is other people said my argument was the one that, that won the debate. In fact, the president of the Oxford Union switched his vote because of what I was saying. And then you walk through these two doors. One is eyes and the one is nays. I actually walked through the yay vote. I had no idea. No one told me until afterwards. And they were kind enough to switch my vote, and we won. And they announced it by standing on a table that had been carved for Henry VIII in this building that was like three, four, five hundred years old. And he stomped on Henry VIII's table after eating on Queen Elizabeth I China to tell us we had won. It was very cool. Last time I ever wore a tuxedo. Until tonight, for Brian Kemp, the governor of the state of Georgia, who was sworn in a little while ago, and now a whole bunch of terrible storms are going to roll through the Atlanta area, and then they'll subside, and I'll go put on my tuxedo and MC the gala. See you all tomorrow.